So we're going to be on a John chapter 15. I'll be re reading out of the NASB. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to John 15. And what a privilege it is that we do have the Bible. Some brothers and sisters around the world don't even have the entire Bible. They may have parts of the Bible. We have the entire Bible. We have the Bible in different versions. I read out of the NASB versions. We have, there's ESV, there's NIV. There's all kinds of different English translations. We had the Bible in paper format. We had Bible in leather. We had Bible in fake leather. We had Bibles on our phones. I mean, it's incredible. And as Pastor David talks about in his hermeneutics class, it is a stewardship. This is something for us to enjoy, something for us to treasure. So we'll be at a John 15. We'll start off at verse 4 through 11. So let's rise as we honor the Lord, as we rise and read his word, if you're able to. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples as he's hours away from being arrested, hours away from the cross. Verse 4, Abide in me, or remain in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, can you imagine that? Just as the Father has loved me, I have all also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide or remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Maximum joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to understand what you're saying so that we will love your son more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Thank you so much. Uh, verse 4 to 10, the word abide in the original language is meno. Okay, meno simply means remain, stay, stay connected. It's mentioned 10 times. Jesus repeats this word 10 times in these, short, in these verses 4 through 10. And in, in John 14, 20 and 23, it, Jesus talks about oneness. Talks about my Father is in you, you and me, and I in you. There's this connectivity between God the Father, the Son, and us. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode to, with him. So it talks about union and closeness and connectivity. So what is this abiding in Christ all about? This is, this is the issue. And I'm going to tell you right from the get-go so that we're very clear what abiding in Christ is about. Last week I told you, how do we abide in, abide in Christ? Well, what is abiding in Christ all about? It's about a genuine, hear me now, it's about a genuine, you could have a relationship but not a genuine. It's about a genuine, not a superficial, but a genuine relationship with Jesus. When he says, abide in me and I in you, it's a mutual relationship. It's a friendship. It's a love relationship. You know him. I mean, think about your best friend. Or best friends, if you have multiple, if you're lucky, you got a couple of best friends. Think about them. These people you trust, 
these people you know, these people you have experiences with. You could sometimes almost finish your sentence, right? I mean, you know what they're thinking just by a look. These are your best friends. You cannot say this is my best friend if you never talk to them or you don't know who they are, right? That's not a real friendship. That's maybe an acquaintance. Right? You have some kind of relationship, but not this deep, abiding relationship that Jesus is talking about. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about a relationship with Christ. And in similar fashion, we're called to have a deep, abiding relationship with him that we do with our best earthly friends. And the, one of the big commands in the Bible, probably the command that sums it all up, what are, are we to be about? We're about loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Okay, in Deuteronomy 6, uh, 5 through 6, let me take time to read this. This is, this is what is, is, is foremost. Okay, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? All right, this is Deuteronomy 6. Let me turn there. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. In any genuine relationship comes to this first point. A genuine relationship with Christ is about the heart. It's not a superficial relationship. I just I know about Jesus, therefore I must be friends with him. No, it's about the heart. Right here in Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, You shall love the Lord with all, all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. I'm going to work backwards. What does these mean, these words, might? Might is speaking about, in, in the original Hebrew language, about degree. It literally means very, 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 like with all the intensity you got, all the passion and the intensity you're called to love God. And when it says soul, this is talking about with everything you got, every fiber of your being, everything from your physical to your mental to emotional, everything you got, you love God. But the part that is the precursor to all these things being ignited in you is the heart. And we're going to reference the heart a lot throughout. So we're going to spend some time on what it means. What does the heart mean? So what did, how did the Jewish people understand what the heart meant? And we're going to take some time here. The Hebrew word in, in, in the short term is lev. All right. And I found this. This is an incredible tool if you're raising kids, or even for yourself, the Bible Project. I found uh, Pastor Victor and other pastors talk about this. So I went on the Bible Project and said, what is the heart? And they had this whole video. And I found this picture. And the Hebrews looked at the heart. When he said to the Jews, what is the heart? They would think, they would have a sense of the anatomical heart, the heart that beats within you to get, keep blood circulating within you. That's a sense. But they didn't, the Jews of the biblical times didn't have a concept for the brain. They didn't even have a word. So in essence, the heart, how they would see the, view the heart is the heart is the center of all human existence. This is who you are. This is who you are. And Proverbs 4.13 says, Watch over your heart. With all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Okay, so let's, let, let's dig deeper here. You see, you see this diagram here. The heart encompassed your thoughts. This is your cognitive ability. This is talking about your, your intellect, your ability to learn facts, your ability to understand wisdom, your ability to discern truth from error. error. This is your ability to think. So the Jews saw that as part of the heart. 
Second part is a Jew saw it as part of your emotions. This is the root of your emotions. This is, a, this is where you're, you feel things, your pain, your sorrow, fear, depressions, suffering, but also your joy, happiness, excitement for life. This is that center. This is where the root of your emotions were birthed out of. And then thirdly, or fourthly, including the physical heart, is your choices. This is your heart is where you make your choices based on the affections of your life, based on your desires. Whatever you love the most, you will choose those things. So the, the heart was a big concept for, for the Hebrews, and it's throughout the whole Bible. And so when it says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, is everything that you have, who you are, you're consumed with God. You love him so much. And the shape of our heart is critical because what your heart looks like, what your heart looks like is, in essence, shapes your worldview. What is a worldview? i got a definition for us, okay? I'm going to explain what a worldview is. A worldview is how one views or interprets reality based upon what one holds to be true. Whatever you believe to be true is going to shape how you interpret life. That's your worldview. And how you view God, this is important. Now hear me out. How do you love God? Well, you have to view him accurately. How you view God is, will shape your worldview. Okay? Here's an example. Let me just point out an example. Hypothetical example, but nonetheless, maybe some of us are going through this. Maybe life circumstances, perhaps the gardener, the divine gardener is pruning in your life and he's using your marriage as a pruning instrument, right? Maybe marriage is difficult. Maybe it's relationships are strained. Maybe there's misalignment in priorities. Perhaps communication isn't very good. Perhaps there's a lot of arguing and fighting going on. You know, our, just like our marriage, we, we have those trials too. And I'm not even talking about marriages that are, you know, with physical abuse or like unrepentant adultery. I'm talking just the rigors of marriage, hard things. It isn't, no, no marriages are perfect. And if you have the worldview that the goal of the Christian life is about living a peaceful, happy life, think about how this is going to inform some of these areas. Think about your emotions now. You're probably going to feel distressed. If you're, if you're thinking the truth of Christian life is to be happy and peaceful, you're probably going to be distressed, discouraged, maybe even hopeless. Like, what have I got myself into? Choices. If your desires or your affections about having a peaceful life or about being um, happy, you may consider divorce. That may be something you consider. You know what? I'm going to eliminate the problem. I'm going to have peace and happiness. Your thought life. What are you thinking about? You may be consumed with thinking about what do I need to do in order to attain peace? That's what you may be. So if the, your worldview is the, Christian, the goal of Christian life is to be, live a life of peace and happiness, that's what you might be thinking about. Here's another worldview. Similar, same situation. Your worldview may be the goal of the Christian life is about becoming more like Christ. Okay, that's the goal. This is what I'm about. This is why God saved me. Your emotions still may be distressed, right? Still, you still might feel discouraged. This is hard. This is very personal. This is very meaningful to who you are. But you remain hopeful because somehow God is using this to grow my love for him. Your choices 
since your desire is to become more like Christ, you're committed to the marriage. You view marriage as a source of sanctification, so you receive the sanctification. And you just work through it. You fight through the struggles of it all. And your thoughts, instead of being focused on how can I uh, uh, achieve peace, you're thinking, what is God teaching me through this? Right? So see how important it is about how your heart is shaped? How you view truth is going to absolutely shape your heart, which will shape your worldview. Now, the problem is this. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. The heart, there it is, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. In, in other words, the heart is terminally ill. There's nothing you could do to fix it. Who could understand this? The Bible says, Jeremiah 17, 9. So your heart, our heart, our human heart condition is in a, uh, is in a corrupt situation, corrupt state. And there's nothing you could do about it, the Bible says. So since the condition of heart is this, in this condition, what is the solution? What is the solution? Well, I believe, now we're going back to John. So I needed to do all that to lay the groundwork so we could talk about John 15 because a relationship, a genuine relationship, is about the heart. You love with your heart. This is the whole being of who you are. Now, what is the solution to this, uh, the heart that is more deceitful above all things? Let's turn to John 15 here. Back to John 15, verse 4 and 5 has a pattern about relationship with Christ. It says, abide in me and I in you. So, right? We abide in Christ and Christ abides with you you and me. All right, verse 5 in the middle. He who abides in me and I in him. So there's a very mutual Jesus abiding with us. Us Christians. So there's this pattern, but turn to verse 7. This is where we're going to focus in on our next point. If you abide in me, there it is. We abide with Christ. The last two times he says that I'm going to abide with you, but he doesn't say this. What does our Lord say? Our Lord has given us ways to grow in our relationship with Christ. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. This is massive now. Point number two, a genuine relationship with Christ communicates. We talk to one another, and the Bible is how we hear from God. This is massive. This is, this, is, this is what I'm passionate about, studying the scriptures. This is what I'm called to do, is to preach and teach the scriptures. This is what every pastor is called to do, is to minister the word and pray for one another. This is it. This is what we're talking about. Verse 7 says, if you abide in me, and here's a pattern change, and my words abide in you. This word in the original language, rhema, this is God's word. And the Bible is God's word. And I know we've heard this before, but I want us to hear this with new ears. I want us to hear this portion with absolutely new ears. What is the Bible, first of all? I'm going to start. What is the Bible? We believe this is God's word. This is a miraculous book. This is not just one book. This is 66 books. 66 books combined to one edition. Written in the, over a 1,600-year period. It took 1,600 years to write. And God used over 40 different authors. And in the original language, it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. On three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. Incredible. This is a miraculous book. It's a miracle that I'm holding this book in front of you right now. This is a miraculous book. It has one major theme. And all the scriptures point to one person, Jesus Christ. So when you read the Bible, 
you're thinking about, okay, what am I learning about Jesus? Now, how do I approach the Bible? How do we actually approach the Bible? So if my words abide in you, Jesus says, how do we approach the Bible? This is important. Because we don't approach this as another man-written book. We don't do that. 2 Peter 1.21 says, The Holy Spirit inspired men to write. The Holy Spirit moved men to write what the Holy Spirit wanted. God inspired or moved men to write the Bible. Those 40 plus, uh, 40 uh, different authors. The Bible is the only reliable way or revelation to learn about who God is. Everything else is, you don't, you're not quite sure. But if you read the scriptures and you understand it, you could take that to the bank. You know this is God revealing himself to you. The Bible. We don't treat the Bible like a divine reference book, like a phone book, like, you just, like a Rolodex. You kind of pick and choose certain uh, ideas that you're looking for. We don't choose the Bible as a divine source of, uh, uh, of how to live, necessarily, like self-improvement. We don't treat the Bible as just a kind of divine history book. I want to learn more about ancient Israel. You can do that, but that's not what the Bible is meant for. It was meant to know Jesus. It was meant to know God. This is what the Bible's about. Now, how do we handle the Bible? This is a big one now. Now, I think in principle, most of us will agree that the Bible's God's word. I don't think anyone is squirming in your seat saying, like, oh, like, what is this guy talking about? I think you're saying, amen, amen. Now let's read, how do we handle the Bible? 2 Timothy uh, 2.15 gives me and every pastor, anyone who handles the word, a strict charge. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, what? As a workman. Who does not need to be ashamed. Ashamed of what, Paul? What do we need to be doing in order to be, to avoid the shame? So we need to be accurately handling the word of God or accurately dividing the word. Proper interpretation. I need to be properly interpreting this and teaching this to you. You need to be, as a Christian, reading the scriptures and properly interpreting it so you know what it's saying. You take into account, as we're learning in Pastor David's hermeneutics class and other role models that I have has taught me, is just you take into the historical cultural, biblical context of what, uh, what you're reading, all right? You take into account, you study the grammar, the words, just language, so you get an idea, a more clear, fuller idea of what the author is writing. And then the big idea is this. You have to get into the time machine. If I can make that, you hop in a time machine, and, you, and John 15, you go back 2,000 years into Jerusalem and try to put yourself in that setting. What did Jesus mean to the disciples when he, said John, when he spoke John 15 to them? That's your goal. And then you understand the truth, and you time work back into 2020 and apply that truth to today. That's really the goal of biblical interpretation. What did the author mean to convey? What did John mean to convey in John 15? to the original audience when he wrote it 2,000 years ago, 2,000 plus years ago. And, and, and what we talk about in my uh, preaching classes is about getting the authorial intent. What did the author mean to say when he wrote it? Okay, in other words, what did the Holy Spirit author intend to convey when he wrote it to the original audience? What's the plain meaning of that time? So it, yes, it takes some work, but it's not impossible. 
There's so many tools, so many resources for all of us. You don't have to be a pastor to be able to do this. So many resources to understand what the Bible's saying. And, and, and let me just, this is where I want to be very clear. Each text, each text has only one meaning. You hear what I said? Each text has only one meaning. One meaning. Now, definitely, possibly many applications, but only one meaning. So I, I want to make this point very clear. The Word of God is the meaning of the text. You, this is really not the Word of God. This is the Bible and a book with the letters and, and, and words, sentences, and all kinds of things and, on paper. That, that's what it is. If you do not, if I do not understand what the text is saying, I don't have God's Word. I don't have the truth in me. I don't understand it. You have to understand it. I have to understand it. Without understanding, it's just words. And the danger is false interpretation. If you just read it and say, this is what it means to me, and it's not quite what it's saying, you may be filling your heart with things that aren't true about God. Right? Pastor David, a couple, like the beginning of the year or end of the year, talked about how, about the, how the Israelites made a golden calf, kind of made God in their own image. You could do that. You could do that. Remember, because the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. As you read it, so you could have it mean what you want it to mean. We have to understand what the Bible says because it shapes our heart for Christ. Now, how do you do it? Psalms 119 says to saturate your heart. Saturate your heart with the truth. Psalms 119, 11, your word I have treasured in my what? Heart. That's right that I may not sin against you. Psalms 119, Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your word. It is my meditation all the day. This is what I think about. Now when you have a treasure, how do you treasure in your heart? You study the text, you know the truth, and you think about the truth constantly. You think about God. This is, and then now you, your heart is starting to be formed. Do you know when you know you're, you're in an abiding relationship? Jeremiah 31, 33 says this, I will put my law or my word within them and on their heart. I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So when Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, he's talking about this deep relationship that you have because you know him, you know who he is. You know him. You, know, you have an accurate picture. You know who Jesus Christ is. The more, you, the more truth is in the hearts, the more you know him, the more you trust him, the more you love him, the more you become like him. Here's a, here, before we transition to the next point, when, uh, Coach Carroll was great about this, you know, coaching, and he used to always tell us, you know, watch your players, you know, listen to what they talk about. And, and the word of encouragement he gave to us is if, we're, if our culture of our team isn't heading in the right direction is this. He said this, you know you got them if they start talking like you. Meaning, meaning, you know, so we talked about certain principles and during interviews or they're talking to one another, they start talking to each other about the same things. Like, <laughs> and he goes like, you know what? This, so-and-so said this in an interview. Look, man, this is perfect. We captured him. He speaks like us. So this is point number three. A genuine relationship with Christ communicates a praying life. What is our praying life like? This is important. Verse 7 says, ask whatever you wish. 
and it will be done for you. What? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you? Let me just give you before that. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you? Let's talk about our praying life. The more saturated we are, we begin to pray like Jesus. Of course, if we pray and desire the things that Jesus desires, of course he's going to do it. Are we saturated? Are we people of the word that we know him so well that we start preaching, we start praying like him? Just like Coach Carol says, do we start talking like him? The Bible and prayer go hand in hand. Absolutely hand in hand. This word, ask whatever you wish, this word wish, Taylor talks about desires and wants. One of my favorite Bible verses, in particular, when I'm making decisions, okay, is Psalms 37.4. Because oftentimes, you're not going to get a chapter and verse on, should I do this or should I do that? Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I not marry this person? Should I invest here? Should I not do this? Or should I take a vacation here? I, it doesn't talk about that necessarily. But Psalms 37.4 covers this. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight, you treasure Christ. You're saturated with him. You love him. Talking about all, all three compartments of the heart is just saturated with Christ. So you desire him. Your affections are for him. And he will give you the desires of your heart. The heart. So if your heart is about Christ, our heart is about Christ, we're going to be praying like him. We're going to be in harmony with him. Praying like our prayer, your prayer life will display or reveal perhaps how close of a relationship you do have with our Lord. Prayer is a beautiful thing. We get to pray like Him, but also it shows dependence that you're in relationship with Him, that you could come to Him. Like, like, like we have four children, they'll come to us or their parents for stuff. Sometimes reasonable, sometimes not so reasonable, thing, but that's what children do. They have a relationship with their parents, they'll ask them things. Do we go to the Father and ask Him as children? Are we, are we in that relationship with the Father? Because, and because we know His Son so well, we start praying the things that His Son would pray. This would reveal the quality of our relationship with Him. Okay? So communication is critical. We hear from God through the Scriptures. We understand what this text is saying. That's why I can't uh, uh, encourage more to, to be part of this hermeneutics class that Pastor David's doing. I'm part of it. I'm learning. I'm re- reinforcing what I'm learning, uh, what I already believe. It's great. You want to know how to interpret the text. Yes, we got preachers and teachers to help you, but some incredible things happen. Your, your sanctification, your love for Christ jumps from one level to the next as you study the scriptures on your own. It's a beautiful time. It's like, you know, you know those special things? I'm kind of selfish sometimes whether it's hanging out with my wife or, or, or some of my close friends, I don't want anyone else around. I just want just me and them. I, 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 that's that's kind of how I am. Because if there's other people, i got to share, share them with other people. Just me, me and them. Christ is a special, intimate thing when you spend that time with the one that you love, one-on-one. Spend time in the Scriptures. Learn how to rightly divide the Word, how to be rightly accurate, and let your prayer life just flow from it. Yeah, that's how you speak to him. Point number four. A genuine relationship with Christ is about love. Let's go to verse 9 of verse 15. 
Bible says this, my father is glorified by this, I'm gonna back up a little bit, that you bear much fruit. And so that so prove to me my disciples. Disciples and Jesus have a relationship. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Think about what Jesus just says. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you also. What? I mean, think about this now. The Son, this is Jesus we're talking about. Jesus is divine. He's eternal. He's God. He's he's part of the Trinity. Jesus has always been with the Father. And it says that the Father loves Jesus. Well, Jesus actually deserves the Father's love. He's perfect. He's always been loyal to the Father. He does what the Father asks him to do. He loves them. He's completely devoted. They're devoted to one another without any sin. So so they have this special love. And he's saying, I'm going to love you with the same quality of love that the Father has for me. And let, let me kind of describe us, perhaps. It certainly describes me. We're, we're all created beings. We're not gods. We don't deserve the Father's love. We don't. We deserve his wrath, actually. As, as long, no matter how long you or I have been a Christian, I know we've been peers of disloyalty to him. We are imperfect. We do still battle and struggle with sin. But Jesus says, I'm going to love you with the same quality of love. What kind of love is this? Incredible. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Do we understand that our love relationship with Christ was started because of him? He initiated it. Next week, we're going to learn that he chose us. He called us to be part of his family. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says, for the love of Christ controls us. The love that Christ has for us controls us, dominates us. And in verse 10, what, and what happens when you love? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my Father's love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in him. Love and obedience go hand in hand. You naturally obey and do the things that you love. They go hand in hand. Part of abiding, part of being in a, a relationship is that there's obedience. You love to obey Christ because you love him. That shows, just like the prayer life demonstrates the quality of how much knowledge you, and, and, and how, how your shape is shaped by truth, your prayer life demonstrates that. Your obedience demonstrates the quality of your love for Christ. You, there's nothing else you'd rather do than to obey him. You love him so much. Your affections, or that, that part of your brain that, that, that forms your affections is filled up with Christ. You love him so much. You're dominated by Christ. But not only that, this is not a necessarily a blind obedience. At times we don't understand, I get that. But we, we love to obey because we love what he's about. All right, this isn't like, all right, I guess this is your thing, Jesus. No, no, this is our thing, he says. We're in a relationship. So this, I want to make clear before we end all these, all, all what we're talking about, what is abiding with Christ about? It's about relationship. It's about having a genuine love relationship with Christ. Just like you would with any friend. Just like you would with any family member. It's no different. It's really not different. No different. The only difference is the object of your affection. You love Christ. Christ is God. 
You can't get any better than that. Fifth and final point is this. A genuine relationship with Christ produces joy. Verse 11. This is incredible. These things I have spoken to you about obedience and about this love relationship so that my joy, not any joy, not, not, not my friend's joy, not the joy that football brings me, not the joy that marriage brings me, not the joy that uh, uh, your job brings you, not the joy that bring, comes from doing a job well done, not the joy uh, of being liked by other people. Those are good joys, but this is my joy. This is my joy. This is Jesus' joy may be in you. What? Not only do we get that special love relationship that, that the Trinity shares, now we get to have the same joy that Jesus enjoys. That my joy that may be in you. We get to experience what Jesus has always enjoyed. He's always enjoyed this special joy with the Father. He's had a perfect relationship with the Father. He's had perfect harmony with the Father. He's enjoyed perfect alignment with the Father. He's been perfectly obedient to the Father. And what does that produce? That's joy. Why do we do this? Because we love the Father so much. We love Christ so much. We get to enjoy the same type of joy. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up here here. Hebrews 12. Turn with me, Hebrews 12. I don't think I have a slide for this, but I, I want this is worth reading together. This is what gives Jesus joy. <laughs> Pretty well-known verse. I'm going to back up to part of verse 1 to add a little bit more context so what we're talking about here. Verse, chapter 12, verse 1 at the end. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, let us run the race. Let us run out the life that God's given us to live. All right? Let us live this out. How are we to do it? Fixing our eyes or looking to Jesus. Who's Jesus? The author and perfecter of faith. He's the one who authored it. He's the one that completed it of our faith. Who for the joy set before him, here, here's that word, who for the joy set before him. This is joy. This gave Jesus incredible joy. Who for the joy set before him, <laughs> what did he do? Endured the cross? Despising the shame, you treat shamefully and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He went to the cross, and this gave him great joy. Obedience to the Father gives Jesus great joy. If you want to maximize joy, if you want this maximum enjoyment, obey the one you love the most. That produces this maximum joy. This is Jesus' type of joy. If you want to have more maximum joy, do what Jesus is about. This is what's clearly talking about. Because this is what you and I are about. This is what Christians are about. We're about what Christ is about. I'm going to finish up here. I don't have much more than that. So abiding in Christ is about relationship. I'll make it very clear. We have clear, this is what he's talking about because right now he's shoring up the relationship with the disciples because in a moment, <laughs> in a brief moment, everything's going to come undone. 
Jesus is going to get arrested. The disciples are going to flee. He's going to get uh, tried. He's going to get murdered on the cross. He's going to receive the joy that was set before him on the cross. But before that, he loves the disciples so much, he's shoring up the relationship with him and them. It's okay. You and I have a relationship. Hang in there. And next week, we're going to talk about the relationship we have with one another. But this message out of John 15, 4 through 11, is about the relationship we have with Christ. There's no greater subject to study about in the entire universe. You want to spend your time studying about Christ through the scriptures. You don't want to waste your time reading other things. You don't want to spend your time doing other activities that keep you distracted. How can you fix your eyes on the author and perfect your faith as you're running the race looking at other things? It says fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith as you run the race. You can't run if you're not focused. You have to be focused. You have to be on target. And how you be on target is you read the scriptures, you study them, you pray with them, you spend time with them. There's no one else you'd rather study. There's nothing else you'd rather study. Nothing is worth more studying than Christ. In just in human history, more books have been written about Christ, more stories and songs have been written about Christ to honor him, no more works of arts. Art has been, has been created in his name. Museums and hospitals have been erected in Christ's name. Universities have been established in Jesus' name. Massive movements have taken place in Christ's name. The world has been dominated by Christ. Even the secular world will understand this, that Christ has been the central figure of the, of the history of the planet. Even non-believers will tell you this. All you got to do is look at this around the world and see what's gone on in the name of Christ. But we have something better. We just don't have a knowledge of Christ. We have a relationship with Christ as Christians. See, when you feed on the word of God, Christ gets more tangible, more tactile. You can feel him because as his word fills your heart, you feel him or you know him or you're growing in relationship with Christ. What could be better? So when it says, just I hope we forever remember this, abiding in Christ is about a relationship. You have a genuine relationship with the God of the universe who created everything, who died for your sins and rose again. And how you know him, how you know you hear from him, is through the scriptures. You study the scriptures. You rightly divide the word. You sit under good teaching and preaching. You meditate. You treasure his word in your heart so you may not sin against him. You say, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. This is who I think about. This is what we think about. The word of God, what a treasure. What a gift. Are we stewarding what we have in our hands? Are we spending time with him daily like you would your best friend? Are you doing this? And it isn't necessarily to kind of a checklist of things as Pastor David talked about. This isn't like, oh, you read your Bibles and God will like you. No, 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 it's not that. But reading your scripture and, and relationship go hand in hand. It's communication. You, you, you have an accurate picture of Christ because if you, right now, some of us, although we may be in faith, we may even have a faulty view of who Jesus is. How you shape your heart 
is to learn more about our Lord through the Word. Okay? So that's why I, I know, you know, maybe you say, Rocky, why do you keep thanking us? I mean, I can't think of anything else better than this is to study the Word all week and to preach it to this church family. I'm grateful for this. I hope you could feel me on this. I hope you could feel me. I wish I could say the words better. I wish I could construct the sentences and the illustrations better. But I hope you could feel me on this. There's nothing more important than learning more about Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Lord, I pray for those of us in here right now who know they don't have a genuine relationship with you. I pray they will believe in the message of the gospel, the good news. The good news that says that we were once sinners. And because of your obedience, Jesus, you took on human flesh, treated shamefully, and you died on the cross. You took on God's wrath on the cross, and you received the joy set before you. And you were buried, and you rose again on the third day. So, Father God, I pray for these right now. They will trust this fact, and they will trust in you and believe in you as Lord and Savior, and they will have a genuine, abiding, remaining relationship with you, Lord. Father, I pray for the saints in here who do know that we have a relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that we will know that the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant, sufficient word of God. And we will treat the Bible with respect. We will steward this treasure that we have in our hands and we will study it. We would commit ourselves to learning what that meaning is of the text so that we will learn more about your son. I pray, Lord, that you bless the ministries in this church family that are committed to ministering your word from the pulpit to the nine o'clock hour to other Bible studies, branch uh, groups that are committed to studying and teaching your scriptures I pray you bless these in a very unique and tangible way. Let it be obvious, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. What could be better than to grow in relationship with you? Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.